Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Norton, and this is Geopolitical Economy Report. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Michael Hudson, the brilliant economist and author of many books. Michael is also the co-host of a program here, Geopolitical Economy Hour, that he does every two weeks with friend of the show, Radhika Desai. I will link to that show in the description below. And I had Michael on in March to discuss the collapse of three U.S. banks in just one week. That was Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and Silvergate Bank. And yet the crisis has continued since then. And I knew I needed to bring back Michael to talk about the latest developments. In just two months, four banks in the United States have collapsed. And we now see the latest example this May is First Republic Bank, which is the second biggest bank in U.S. history to collapse, went down and was taken over by J.P. Morgan. And this is this, the biggest bank to collapse since 2008 when Washington Mutual collapsed. Although, as Michael has often pointed out, what we should be saying is the biggest bank in the U.S. that was allowed to collapse because he pointed out that many banks were actually insolvent but weren't allowed to collapse. Now, First Republic Bank had $207 billion in assets. And there are similarities between this collapse and the previous collapses. A similarity with First Republic is that the majority of its deposits were uninsured. About 68% of its deposits were above the federally insured limit of $250,000. So that means that there are $120 billion worth of uninsured deposits. And what's interesting about First Republic compared to other banks is it had very wealthy clients and many of them had long-term low interest mortgage loans. So as an example, the CEO of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, had a $6 million mortgage with First Republic Bank and that was at 1% interest. And that's obviously below inflation. So Bloomberg pointed out that Mark Zuckerberg, a billionaire, was borrowing for free for a 30-year mortgage on a mansion. This is just one example of the kind of clients that were at First Republic Bank. Now, when I had Michael on last time, he explained how one of the reasons that Silicon Valley Bank collapsed is because it had invested a lot in long-term bonds. And because the Federal Reserve has been aggressively raising interest rates, the value of those bonds has significantly decreased. So when there was a run on the bank, the bank had to sell those bonds that had lost value and use that to try to pay the depositors, but it didn't simply have enough at the end and it collapsed. Now, in the case of First Republic Bank, it wasn't too exposed to bonds like Silicon Valley Bank was, but it did have a lot of long-term mortgages, about $100 billion worth. So now we see that J.P. Morgan is taking over First Republic Bank, and J.P. Morgan has been given a sweetheart deal. In fact, J.P. Morgan reported that it expects to make $2.6 billion off of this deal. And as part of the agreement, J.P. Morgan does not have to pay First Republic Bank's corporate debt. And the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the U.S. government-backed company, has agreed to a loss-sharing agreement. So if because of some of the long-term mortgages that have lost value, if JP Morgan ends up losing some of the value on mortgages and commercial loans, 
the FDIC agreed to bear 80% of the credit losses. Meanwhile, the FDIC is estimating this is going to cost $13 billion to its deposit insurance fund. So, and that means that in just two months, since the beginning of March, the FDIC's deposit insurance fund has paid out around $35 billion to save Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and now First Republic Bank. So, Michael, those are the basic facts. Now, that that doesn't explain what's happening at a macro scale on the economy, but it does show it's another example of how these private banks are getting bailed out by the government and large banks like JP Morgan, the largest bank in the United States, is given a sweetheart deal where it's going to make billions of dollars. The FDIC is bearing the cost. And this is despite the fact that, as Pam Martins and Russ Martins pointed out at Wall Street on Parade, JP Morgan is actually ranked by regulators as the riskiest bank in the United States. So giving JP Morgan control, JP Morgan Chase control over this bank that already had finance issues makes it even riskier for the U.S. financial system. So I talk about a lot of things there, but those are the basic points. I want to get your analysis, uh, Michael, and especially in response to the JP Morgan takeover and the concentration, the increasing concentration of these large, large banks, the sweetheart deal it got and the FDIC bailout. What do you think about all of that? Well, the entire U.S. banking system is just as insolvent as uh, uh, the banks uh, that you've just mentioned. What's amazing is that all of this is treated as if somehow uh, it, it was unforeseeable. And uh, people are saying, uh, like Queen Elizabeth said in 2008, did nobody see this? Well, uh, I've been writing about this, uh, exactly how this would occur for the last 15 years, ever since I wrote Killing the Hosts. Uh, and the reason the banks are insolvent now is because of uh, President Obama's uh, program uh, and uh, his... Uh, his uh, Secretary of the Treasury, uh, Tim Geithner, uh, who appointed the current uh, Federal Reserve uh, President uh, Powell. Uh, when President Obama uh, decided to bail out the banks uh, instead of writing down uh, the bank loans to uh, uh, what uh, uh, would have been reasonable levels. Uh, instead of saving uh, the junk uh, mortgage victims uh, from their houses, uh, he decided that uh, to go along with uh, his boss, uh, Robert Rubin, uh, the former Treasury Secretary under Bill Clinton, and uh, save Citibank and the other uh, big banks that were the most troubled uh, banks of all. And they're still the most troubled banks of all, except they have a government guarantee, uh, just like Obama gave them, that no matter how much they lose, they will not uh, lose the money. No matter how much the banks lose in negative net worth, the economy will lose, not the banks. And uh, that's the, uh, all of that uh, became implicit when the Federal Reserve decided to uh, help uh, the banks that were insolvent in 2008 and 9 to help them recover their net worth by uh, quantitative easing. That is creating $9 trillion worth of Federal Reserve uh, balance sheet support of the banks to uh, in, uh, pro, uh, enable the banks to uh, drive down interest rates to near zero, uh, 0.1%, uh, and which is about 
what uh, banks were paying their depositors. And uh, the banks used uh, all of this uh, increasing liquidity. Uh, what were they going to do with the banks? Well, they lent them out largely to private capital firms. In other words, they lent them out to operators on Wall Street who borrowed from the banks to buy out companies uh, then would buy, uh, and take them private. Uh, then they would uh, have the companies uh, borrow money uh, from the banks uh, uh, and for billions of dollars of money and pay this money out as uh, special dividends to the private capital companies that had uh, bought them out, leaving uh, companies as bankrupt shells such as Bed Bath and Beyond. Well, uh, as long as interest rates were just about zero, you had free credit and you had uh, debt fin debt fueled a stock market boom the biggest uh, bond market boom in history, uh, and a real estate boom. All of these things are uh, you and I have been discussing for many years now, and I've been discussing it on my website and my Patreon group. Well, what happened uh, then was that the Federal Reserve under uh, the lawyer, uh, Mr. Powell, he's not an economist, he's a lawyer uh, serving his clients, which are uh, uh, Chase Manhattan, Citibank, uh, uh, and uh, the big banks uh, to decide, well, uh, there's a, a danger of uh, wages rising and to, uh, we've, we've got to keep wages down in order to uh, maintain the profit of uh, uh, the stocks that are fueling the stock market gains. So uh, the Federal Reserve decided uh, and announced that it was going to begin raising interest rates from 0% to 4%. Now, uh, at the time this, this was publicly announced, I, I talked to uh, many businessmen, many investors, many CEOs, uh, and every single individual that I knew said, oh, they're going to raise the interest rates. That means that if we hold a long-term bond, a uh, government bond, like a 30-year bond, or a five-year bond, or a 10-year bond, the price is going to go down because when interest rates go up, uh, the price of bonds go down. So everyone I knew moved into short-term government uh, uh, bonds, that is treasury bills, uh, three-month treasury bills, or maybe two-month, two-year uh, treasury notes, uh, because they didn't want to take the loss that uh, occurred if you're holding a 30-year uh, bond. And holding a 30-year uh, mortgage is just like holding a 30-year bond. Uh, you're, uh, all of a sudden, interest rates are going up, but you're holding a, a security, uh, a mortgage or a bond that pays a very low interest rate and whose price has fallen uh, by 30% maybe even uh, 40%. Now, that means that uh, if you're a bank and you have depositors and uh, your assets are reduced in uh, market price by 40%, uh, what are you going to do if your deposits aren't reduced? You have negative equity. Well, just about every uh, uh, bank in the country moved into a negative equity position because all the banks uh, have made fairly long-term loans. And as the Federal Reserve raised interest rates, that lowered the uh, the price of the mortgages that banks held, the treasury uh, uh, securities that banks banks held. Uh, all of this was going down. Now, uh, after uh, Silicon Valley Bank went under, uh, for instance, uh, uh, Eve Smith on Naked Capitalism, which is uh, my favorite financial site uh, to follow on these things, said, well, uh, Silicon Valley Bank's uh, just hopelessly mismanaged 
their uh, portfolio and holding on uh, to these long-term government bonds. Why did they do it? Well, here's why they did it. Imagine what would have happened if Silicon Valley Bank or any bank in America would have acted just like the private individuals who move their personal retirement accounts or their personal uh, financial accounts into short-term uh, treasuries. They'd all, they all would have begun to sell their 30-year mortgages or other long-term mortgages. This by itself uh, would have crashed the price of uh, uh, 30-year mortgages. If they would have sold their uh, 30-year treasury bonds and said, well, we'd better move into short-term treasuries, imagine if all the banks would have decided, we heard what the Federal Reserve said, they're going to lower the interest rates, or they're going to raise the interest rates to four uh, percent and lower the value of these securities by thirty or forty percent. Uh, let's all dump them. Well, the act of selling them would have uh, caused the prices to decline to a point where, indeed, right away they would have been yielding this four percent. So obviously, there's very little uh, they could do. That's because finance and credit in the United States are privatized. The crisis that we're going uh, through today is not the kind of crisis that China uh, would uh, experience because uh, China has uh, made uh, money and credit and banking a public utility. Uh, But in the United States, it's all privatized and part of the uh, subject to the balance sheet uh, constraints of what do you do if interest rates go up the value of your assets goes down while your liabilities, that is what you owe depositors, uh, continues uh, high. Well, uh, some uh, of the newspapers said, well, why didn't Silicon Valley Bank and other banks simply uh, take out an option and hedge? In other words, uh, the suggestion was, well, if you know you're going to have a $100,000 mortgage, that's going to be worth 60000 Why don't you just get someone to guarantee that uh, in uh, two years or so, when the Fed increases interest rates to 4%, uh, you can still go to the counterparty that's holding the derivative and uh, uh, say, okay, now uh, this is only worth uh, $60,000. I want you to pay me $100,000 for it. Well, how are they going to find a sucker? Who would have gone into that? Uh, the, because the banks that write the derivatives uh, and uh, the futures and the options have uh, read the newspapers also, and they all read that uh, the Federal Reserve says it's going to raise the interest rates to four percent and reduce the value of uh, uh, assets to uh, 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 only about sixty percent. So they would have said, "Sure, we'll write it. You'll have to give us on a hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Uh, that'll cost you forty thousand dollars." Uh, for the insurance. Uh, in other words, uh, the, uh, the, nobody wants to lose any money. And the fact is, whoever was held with these long-term securities was going to lose money. Well, this is exactly what happened to the uh, savings and loan institutions in the 19, uh, uh, in the 1970s, uh, in the 1980s. Uh, there was no, nothing the banks could do. The banks were able to survive for a few years, despite the fact that the Fed was raising interest rates to 4%. Uh, the banks said, well, there's only one way that we can avoid uh, facing the fact that uh, our uh, assets are much less 
than our liabilities by um, just keeping the deposits there. Let's keep paying uh, the depositors what we were paying all along, uh, 0.2%. Uh, we hope our depositors are really, really stupid and inertia, and it's so hard to change a bank account and take money out and buy a government security uh, short term or to buy uh, uh, another financial security. Maybe there, this inertia will just save us and nobody will do anything, uh, but we've got to get really stupid people in charge of the Federal Reserve who uh, don't realize that uh, the banks are insolvent. We've got to get uh, flax, uh, public relations people for the Fed, like Paul Krugman, who said, no problem at all. Everything's going to be okay. Our financial system is great. Uh, 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 nothing to worry about. Uh, and as long as you can get uh, the Fed saying uh, there's no problem and the newspapers saying uh, interest rates are going up, forget about the fact that when interest rates go up, the price of uh, mortgages and bonds go down. If you can just ignore that basic balance sheet fact, uh, uh, depositors are just going to be quite happy uh, earning their 2% on their savings account, even though uh, anyone smart has already taken their money out of the bank and, uh, and invested in government securities that are uh, yielding 4%. Now, I know many people, uh, friends of mine, who've uh, taken their money out of the bank and uh, invested in uh, two-year uh, government notes or short-term money market funds, and they're getting 4%. Why on earth would they leave the money in the banks? Well, uh, Silicon Valley Bank and the uh, New York Bank that just uh, went under uh, went under largely because uh, they cater to the wealthiest uh, depositors, uh, the high-income depositors. And if you're a wealthy depositor, you're smart enough to know that, well, when the uh, banks uh, move into negative equity, they can't cover the deposits. We'd better pull our deposits out now and instead of making 0.2%, we want to make 4% also. That's what the Federal Reserve uh, has done for us. So the Federal Reserve had painted itself into a corner uh, during the quantitative easing. By uh, by lowering interest rates to just about zero, uh, the Fed is guaranteed that if you ever move out of this position, if you ever go beyond the uh, Obama uh, policy of saving the banks by inflating uh, the uh, capital markets, then you're going to drive the capital markets bankrupt insolvent. So we are now finally um, uh, facing the insolvency that Obama and uh, Trump and uh, Biden early on were able uh, to avoid. Uh, and it's, it's just a, it's a, a seventh grader, uh, well, maybe a eighth grader, uh, could have done the, the arithmetic. Anybody who uh, compares uh, the market price of bank assets to uh, the acquisition price and realizes, well, banks have lost 30 or 40 percent of their asset values. Their deposits are high. Anyone doing this is going to say, let's take our money out of the banks and make a lot more money by buying government uh, two-year bond, two-year uh, notes or 10-year uh, treasuries and lock in uh, these high interest rates now. And that's exactly what's happening. And uh, the uh, the newspapers say, well, this is such a surprise. Who could have guessed? And uh, uh, they, uh, of course, they're moving it into uh, uh, banks like Chase Manhattan or Citibank, uh, which uh, is uh, indeed, uh, as uh, Pam uh, Martin said, uh, are uh, the are serial 
uh, abusers uh, and violators of uh, regulations, uh, of course, they're moving there because the government says nobody's going to lose, no bank depositor, no financial investor will lose any money. We promise you that the economy will lose money, not the banks, uh, not the financial sector. Uh, uh, we promise you that uh, in, if we have to pay more money to support the financial sector, we're willing to cut back Social Security. We're willing to get willing to get rid of Medicaid and Medicare. We're going to get rid of social spending because we uh, the economy needs uh, the banks uh, not to lose any money because that's uh, to, to us politicians. There are campaign contributors there who we're uh, really uh, working for, there who we're protecting. That's our job as politicians. And uh, it's just amazing that uh, there's there nobody is just coming right out and saying this except uh, uh, the few people that are uh, carefully avoided by uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the usual uh, suspects uh, when it comes to uh, uh, saying there's no problem at all. So uh, why do they go to uh, Chase? Because the government has said no matter how much money the banks lose, even if Chase and Citibank are insolvent, because after all, they have long-term mortgages, they have long-term loans, they have long-term securities, but no matter what, we're going to create uh, uh, enough money to bail them out. Well, how much money are we talking about? Well, what has been pushing up all of the uh, the prices of the mortgages and the stocks and the government bonds that the banks hold uh, uh, was this $9 trillion in quantitative easing. Uh, to uh, make the banks whole from the loss, the government will have to create suddenly another $9 trillion dollars. The, uh, the entire economy will not only move into the uh, what uh, the Mr. Powell calls a recession, but a deep depression, uh, a total financial collapse. Uh, and uh, that's uh, obviously it's uh, almost inconceivable that that can happen. But as long as the government says no bank depositor will lose money, the government will pay. Well, somebody has to lose money. And who do you think? Uh, it's going to be, whether it's the Biden administration or the next Republican administration, the economy will lose money. And uh, uh, this is the uh, it's not only the disaster of Fed mismanagement, because the Fed is managing a financial system that has been privatized and financialized and debt leveraged to the point where it is unsustainable. And the government uh, and the uh, media are not confronting the fact that the existing uh, debt overhead of the banking system and the financial system and uh, the private capital, that all of this is unsustainable and we've reached the point of unsustainability. Well, it's, uh, if, if uh, eighth graders can see that the banks are insolvent, uh, even investors and even some economists can do the mathematics uh, and see how insolvent they are and uh, realize that uh, uh, we, we'd better take our money and run. So you're now having uh, the wealthiest 1% of the country taking their money and running. And that's uh, what's causing this uh uh, uh, problem. You can expect this, the wealthiest 1% to contribute very heavily to the 2024 presidential campaign. <laughs> very well said. And Michael, I want to emphasize how this highlights regulatory capture. 
so we you talked about how essentially you know the so-called regulators are working for the banks. Now the irony is that as Wall Street on the parade pointed out, JP Morgan has been rated by regulators to be the riskiest bank in the United States. It's also the largest bank and it just swallowed up First Republic Bank. Now this also violates antitrust laws. That's what's so incredible. So not only is the US government further empowering and enlarging this risky bank, but antitrust laws say that a financial institution that holds more than 10% of all of the insured deposits in the US cannot expand further and, and, and buy up another bank. Obviously, JP Morgan as the largest bank has significantly more than 10% of insured deposits in the US. So now it's growing even further in violation of the antitrust laws on the books. And Again, I want to highlight this fact that the FDIC's deposit insurance fund, according to its filings at the end of 2022, had $128 billion. And in just two months, it's already spent $35 billion. So about one quarter of the entire deposit insurance fund to bail out these banks, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, First Republic Bank. And now we see this crisis spreading further. So... Who is watching the, the watchmen? Who is regulating the regulators? I mean, they're working for the banks, clearly. Uh, I think it, uh, you're missing the point to put the blame on the regulators. The problem's not that the, the banks control the regulators and regulatory capture. They've captured the government. Uh, and it's the government that appoints the regulators. So uh, you can't just blame the, gov- the regulators because if the uh, government has been captured by the financial sector, then they're just going to appoint new regulators who've gone to the same uh, business schools uh, and have been brainwashed in the same neoliberal uh, Chicago school. Uh, economics that would do exactly the same as the regulators are doing now. Uh, the regulators can only regulate within the existing legal system and the existing political system. Uh, they can't change the political system. And the problem is systemic itself. The existing financial system cannot survive in the way that it is now structured uh, because it makes any increase in interest rates drive banks uh, uh, insolvent. And uh, the government has said, we're not going to support uh, the small banks. We're not going to support the uh, local uh, uh, commercial banks or uh, the, the smaller revenue banks. They're not our campaign contributors. We know who the campaign contributors are. They're Citibank, Chase Manhattan. They're the big uh, uh, financial firms and the private capital firms. Uh, we're, so uh, the government has basically announced, if you want to take, if you want to keep your money safe, move it to one of the five big systemically important banks. Systemically important means it's a bank that uh, controls government policy of uh, uh, the financial sector in its own favor. Uh, and you want to be part of a system where uh, the, uh, the banks that you have your deposit are in control of who gets elected uh, uh, in government uh, to appoint uh, who gets uh, uh, becomes the Federal Reserve regulator and the various uh, bank uh, uh, agency regulators. Uh, that's uh, uh, what uh, uh, President Biden says is the key to American democracy. Uh, not realizing the uh, semantic terminological distinction between uh, democracy and oligarchy. Yeah, very well said. And I've mentioned, we both have mentioned a few times here, Wall Street on Parade by 
the, the amazing financial blog by Pam Martins and Russ Martins. I highly recommend everyone checking out their website. I've invited them on before, but unfortunately they, they don't do uh, interviews. But, um, but Michael, they published another article that discussed the $247 trillion in derivatives that 25 U.S. banks are exposed to. And they speculated that one of the reasons in March that these large banks, 11 big banks in the U.S. deposited $30 billion in First Republic Bank to try to save it. Now, at the time, that was portrayed as this great benevolent act by these large banks to try to prevent First Republic Bank from going under. But Wall Street on Parade speculates that actually one of the reasons they did that was to try to save themselves over their exposure to $247 trillion in derivatives. And they pointed out that the four big banks that contributed the, the, the most to try to save First Republic Bank, the systemically important banks, have 58% of the $247 trillion in derivatives. So that means that they, they have over $140 trillion worth of derivatives. I mean, just saying that number sounds just unfathomable. It sounds like we're talking about imaginary figures. But what we're essentially seeing is that the entire U.S. financial system is a big casino. And there are bets that are several times the size of the entire U.S. GDP in the U.S. banking system. I mean, what's going to happen with this, these derivatives? Well, I, de I describe uh, what has happened before in uh, killing the host. Uh, remember when uh, Greece uh, elected the Syriza party and uh, the, uh, it was obvious that Greece uh, could not pay uh, the $50 uh, billion in foreign debt uh, that it had. And there was a lot of pressure by the incoming uh, government saying uh, uh, by uh, Verokakis and the others, you've got to write down the debts. And uh, the European uh, Central Bank was all set to uh, write down the debts. Uh, the head of the uh, IMF uh, pointed out that the uh, Greek uh, billionaires uh, actually had $50 billion of their own money stashed in Switzerland of tax avoidance money. And this 50 billion could have been grabbed by the government and, uh, re and, uh, uh used to repay, uh, Greece's foreign debt. Well, uh, they were about to, uh, write down the debt when, uh, President Obama sent, uh, uh, his treasury secretary, Tim Geithner over. Obama made a speech. Geithner made a speech, and I quote them in Killing the House, and uh, he said to Europe, no, no, you can't let uh, Greece uh, let these bonds go under and default because the American banks have made such a big bet on derivatives that uh, they would lose money, and uh, you Europeans have to lose the money, not America. That's how uh, our, our democracy works. And so, uh, the Europeans said, okay, we will make, uh, Europe, uh, lose money. We'll make Greece go bankrupt just so, uh, that your American banks who contributed the most money to, uh, Mr. Obama's, uh, uh, presidential campaign, uh, will not have to lose a single penny on their, uh, bad, uh, uh, derivatives because now they're good derivatives because we've, uh, we've destroyed the Greece population to help you. 
uh, uh, this is most probably the most vicious uh, of all of Obama's uh, actions, apart from the destruction of Libya. Uh, and uh, this, uh, the, what had happened to Greece uh, 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 under the uh, Syriza uh, government and the bankruptcy uh, is exactly what's happening on a vastly increased scale uh, today. Uh, the Treasury Secretary's job uh, is to uh, protect uh, the big banks. And uh, uh, Miss Yellen has said, just just as we're supporting an, uh, an unsupportable uh, loser in Ukraine, we're going to support the unsupportable losers, seemingly, uh, in uh, the American banks. We will do whatever it takes uh, so that the big banks do not lose money, even though uh, they've made a bad bet a bet that would have lost all the money, a bet that would have left them insolvent, a bet, a bet that would have led them to be taken over by the FDIC and turned from a private bank into a government bank. Uh, we're going to prevent that because that would be socialism. And that's what we're fighting against in America, just as we're fighting against uh, uh, that in uh, Europe. Uh, so uh, you're, you're having... Uh, I, I won't characterize what kind of a political system uh, we're under, but, but the, uh, the the Treasury Secretary, is, uh, the Treasury as a whole, has been just as captured by the financial sector as uh, the Federal Reserve. And you want to look at the Treasury as uh, the bad guys in this. Uh, you want to look at uh, the people who are working under uh, Ms. Yellen, and I, I think that Pam Martins makes this uh, uh, very clear in, uh, uh, when she goes through all of the uh, the balance sheet uh, maneuverability uh, for this. Uh, when I have a question, I often, I've called her uh, to ask for explanations. I mean, uh, you're right. Uh, her site is the go-to site. Uh, uh, for this. So, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, U uh, the bottom line is the whole U.S. economy is being sacrificed to banks that have made bets, uh, and they've been bad bets. Their bets have gone wrong, and they're bailed out by the Treasury, saying even if you make bad bets, no matter what, we're going to rescue you, no matter what it takes for the economy at large. Uh, that's, uh, uh what, uh, that is the hard, iron fist of the financial system uh, controlling the economy as uh, today's uh, central planner. Yeah, and we now see that this crisis that we've seen in the U.S. banking system is spreading, especially to medium-sized banks. The latest reports show that PacWest is on the verge of collapsing. Also, Western Alliance is being targeted, and their stocks are falling very rapidly. And once again, to go back to Wall Street on Parade, they specifically single out short sellers. They say short sellers are targeting these banks because they can see that they could potentially be the next banks to go down. And they're trying to make money off of this. And over at Wall Street on Parade, Pam Martins and Russ Martins argued that, that the U.S. government is putting its own national security at risk, the stability of the financial system at risk, by not suspending the short selling of federally insured banks. So what do you think about this argument that, that short sellers should not be allowed to do this because they're helping to fuel the collapse of these banks in order to profit from it? 
Well, it's sort of like when they tried to ban uh, betting on horse racing or ban uh, the numbers racket. Uh, the, 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 the banks can always make inherently uh, the equivalent of a short sale. And if they don't do it in the U.S. economy, they'll do it uh, offshore in the Cayman Islands. Uh, so it, it's, it's very hard uh, to do something. Uh, the problem is that if uh, the, uh, the, the government certainly uh, has the money to hire somebody, uh, a, a first-year uh, BA graduate in business uh, could tell uh, just what the short sellers are saying. They, uh, a, a short-term uh, graduate or Pam Martins herself could uh, look at the banks and say, this bank has negative equity, uh, and the government can immediately take it over into the public uh, domain. But the government won't do that because that, they'll say that's socialism. And uh, socialism, uh, which we used to call democracy, uh, but now they call they recall democ- uh, uh, democracy socialism because they think it's a bad term, uh, and uh, they say no, we ha- we have to let private enterprise uh, uh, rule, and private enterprise is gambling. Banks, uh, most banks have not made money as much money in interest as they've made in capital gains. And uh, the biggest capital gains have been uh, derivatives and uh, uh, option, short sales and uh, options. So the financial sector isn't about making loans to uh, uh, industrialists to build factories and employ labor to uh, 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 produce more goods. It's made to uh, make loans to gamblers. Uh, because that's where most of the money's uh, uh, made. It's, uh, that's uh, what the financial system is. And uh, to characterize the system as if it's part of the economy is uh, the sort of mythology of our time. The financial system is external to the economy. It's like a parasite on the economy, uh, using the government as a means of extracting uh, money from the economy or using its own money creation abilities uh, to make sure that it creates uh, enough money to make sure that the uh, the, finan- the wealthy financial institutions cannot lose. Uh, smaller financial institutions can lose, uh, but that's okay to the government because the uh, big fish eat little fish. And the uh, small uh, banks are taken over by the big banks. So ultimately, the uh, logical result is if there are only four or five uh, systemically important banks, meaning banks that we're not going to uh, let go under, uh, and no matter how much uh, uh, they lose, you won't lose your money in these banks. Well, uh, that means, uh, hey, folks, take your money out of your local bank and put it in one of the big banks because uh, they're now running things. That's the message. And uh, I don't know why the newspapers and media don't come right out and say that or why the banks themselves. Why doesn't Chase put in uh, take out a one page argument in The New York Times and Wall Street Journal and said, hey, folks, you notice how they bailed us out? We'll always be bailed out. You're not going to lose your money here. Uh, take uh, put your money in our bank. <laughs> why don't you know that's a good advertising slogan. Why don't they why don't they think of that? <laughs> Well, Michael, to conclude here, I just want to give you a quote from Jamie Dimon. He insisted in a media interview that with J.P. Morgan taking over First Republic Bank, he said, quote, there may be another smaller one, but this pretty much resolves them all. This part of the crisis is over. So J.P. Morgan Chase wants us to think that we've gone through the worst 
that the, the solution has been pretty much solved. What, what do you say in response to, J, to Jamie Dimon? Well, all of the banks uh, have uh, suffered the same problem that uh, uh, began with the Silicon Valley Bank and uh, the other banks that have gone under. All of the banks have seen the uh, market price of their mortgage loans and their government securities fall by uh, a large amount, so much that it's uh, the amount of the decline in uh, their assets has wiped out the equivalent of their net worth. So they're in negative equity. They're uh, technically insolvent, except that the government doesn't ask the banks to report uh, what is uh, the actual val- uh, market price of your assets. That's a secret. Uh, and it's a secret because if people could see the market price of the assets and what their liabilities, they'd see that uh, their net worth uh, is uh, worse than that of the average homeless person on the New York subways. Uh, and uh, so uh, they just don't do that. The fact is that uh, we're still in the problem uh, that was uh, the Federal Reserve painted itself into when it moved to zero interest rates. Any increase in interest rates causes a crash in uh, real estate, bond prices, and, and uh, implicitly stock prices. Uh, and if the government doesn't uh, bail out the banks, they're, they're going to be uh, insolvent, like uh, somebody who's uh, bet the fortune at a racetrack. Uh, or a casino, uh, and have, have uh, lost their money. So, uh, uh, of course he's going to say everything's okay now. Uh, but what that means is, well, it'll be okay if the depositors leave their money in the banks and their savings accounts that are paying 0.2% and don't, uh, go to, uh, uh, a, a investment bank and buy, uh, uh or broker and by uh, government uh, money market funds or uh, treasury uh, bills if they don't go to Vanguard or one of these uh, companies that'll uh, you know set up uh, an account for them uh, uh, to to buy treasury bonds or, or uh, local government funds uh, and are willing to uh, give up the uh, the money in the banks and let the banks make money off uh, the financial distress not themselves then uh, everything will be okay uh, but for for the uh, bank depositors and for the public uh, to be uh, quiescent they have to be stupid and that's the role of the new york times and uh the uh, washington post and the other media you got to have a financially stupid public and the best way to do it is to have uh, the university courses teach ec- uh stupid economics like that's what Chicago school is all about. That the economic curriculum in the United States don't look at uh, debt problems. They don't look at balance sheet problems. None of the problems that are occurring today uh, appear in the uh, economic uh, curriculum uh, that, that people have to learn uh, in order to uh, see how uh, the economy works. It's all a mythology. It's a fairy story. And uh, you could say it's sort of the superstition. Uh, of our time. I won't dignify it by calling it a religion. Uh, even though many banks uh, look like uh, the ancient Greek and Roman temples, it's really just uh, a superstition that uh, uh, the financial system is works to help the economy instead of uh, how can we make money from the economy by taking over the government and uh, uh, capturing uh, the whole government, not only the regulators. Well, that's a good note to end on. I want to thank you, Michael Hudson, an economist and author of many books. People should go check out his website at michael-hudson.com. And Michael also 
co-hosts the show Geopolitical Economy Hour here with Radhika Desai. I will link to that in the description below. I will also link to his previous interview with me where we talked about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and Silvergate Bank this March. Uh, Michael, it's always a real pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Ben.